Is there a word from the Lord? Is there a word from the Lord? Jeremiah chapter 37, verses 16 and 17. Jeremiah, the Old Testament prophet, was put into a dungeon cell where he remained for many days. Later, King Zedekiah secretly requested that Jeremiah come to the palace where the king asked him, Do you have any messages from the Lord? Those same verses in the New International Version put it this way. Jeremiah was put into a vaulted cell in a dungeon where he remained a long time. Then King Zedekiah sent for him and had him brought to the palace where he asked him privately, Is there any word from the Lord? The message translation puts it this way. So Jeremiah entered an underground cell in a cistern turned into a dungeon. He stayed there a long time. Later, King Zedekiah had Jeremiah brought to him. The king questioned him privately. Is there a message from God? The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah had been thrown into a prison dungeon on false charges of treason. He had been accused of conspiring with the Babylonians. The Babylonians were the primary enemy of Judah at this time. Judah and Israel had already divided. Israel had divided into two nations. Israel had already been destroyed by the Assyrians. The Babylonians have now taken over as the world power, the world empire, the worldwide military dominating force, and they are beginning to come against Judah. Jeremiah was accused of conspiring with the enemy. He had not, but he had preached what would sound like some confusing and controversial messages to the people. Think of how his messages would sound today. Jeremiah had preached, judgment is coming, the Babylonians are coming, they're going to destroy the city, they're going to destroy the temple, they're going to destroy your homes. The best thing you can do is cooperate with them. That was the word from the Lord. Jeremiah said, when the enemy comes, when the Babylonians come, when they invade, you need to cooperate with them. You need to give in. If you do that, you will live. Jeremiah said, if you fight them, you will be destroyed because they are coming as the hand of God's judgment against you. If you fight against them, you are fighting against God's plan at this period of time. So even though they are the enemy and they are an enemy military power, God has already decided that they are going to win. You need to give in and cooperate and it will go easier on you. You can see how that message might have been confused, can't you? It goes against everything we think we believe in, everything we stand for. But that was the word of the Lord. And God said to Jeremiah, tell him, tell him. And Jeremiah was thrown in prison for it. Conspiracy, treason, being unpatriotic. But King Zedekiah realized that Jeremiah was a prophet of God. Even though as king, in his leadership role, he had rejected everything Jeremiah said. The leader of the nation had rejected the prophet of God. The leader of the nation had rejected the message of God. The leader of the nation had rejected the word of God. But when he's curious, he sends for Jeremiah secretly because he knows Jeremiah is a prophet. He wants to hear what the Lord has to say. 
He's a coward. (laughs) That's why he sends for him secretly. He's a coward. But he asks Jeremiah this all-important question. Is there a word from the Lord? He's been thrown in prison because they've rejected the words from the Lord, but the king is desperate. Is there a word from the Lord? And Jeremiah very quickly and emphatically said, yes, there is. There is a word from the Lord. You're going to be destroyed. The word from the Lord is you're going to be destroyed. The word from the Lord is the nation is going to be destroyed. He went on to prophesy that the king and the people, the king himself would be captured. The people would be captured. They were taken as slaves into Babylon. It was a prophecy of doom and destruction. I believe I have a word from the Lord. It has already begun and it will continue to increase. There is a judgment coming upon the sin in our culture and in our world today. Didn't get much hallelujahs on that one. I was in a musical a number of years ago, and one song, the lyrics said, we're standing on the edge of a bright new tomorrow. Well, that's true if we are in a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's true if we are trusting in this book that we've been going over for several weeks and giving you the overview of, because Jesus will soon sweep us out of here, and we will not see the worst of the judgment that's going to come. That's the good news. But I believe many people are asking this same question today. Is there a word from the Lord? Many people today want direction. They're searching and they're wandering aimlessly. And many people have given up on the so-called organizational church. They believe the organizational church has failed them. And in many cases, it has. In many cases, some people are justified in walking away from the so-called organizational church. There are many preachers who are great entertainers. And great storytellers. But to be honest with you, there's a lot of preachers who just don't do a whole lot of studying and dissecting and teaching of the Word of God. There are a lot of so-called ministries from which there's really not much preaching or teaching from the Bible, even in local churches. Walt Russell said, it was not until I had logged 10 or 12 years as a Christian. Listen to this, listen to this quote. Walt Russell said, it was not until I had logged 10 or 12 years as a Christian that I realized the Word of God was written to be understood by humans and was designed to be life-changing when applied to our lives. Up to that point, listen to this, I viewed reading the Scriptures like singing the national anthem at a sporting event. My experience with the Bible in several churches was a mirror image of singing the national anthem. Like singing the national anthem, the scriptures would be read at the beginning of the event, a Bible study, a Sunday school class, a worship service, a youth rally, and so on. However, like singing the anthem, the Bible would then have absolutely nothing to do with the class or the service or the study or the rally. Our goal in these last several weeks has been to equip you and to motivate you to read and apply the various aspects of the Bible according to the manner in which they were intended to be read and applied in your personal spiritual growth, maturity, and formation. I believe there are those today who are searching for the Word of God, but they don't know where to find it. 
They're searching for a word from the Lord, but they're looking, they're looking in various cults. They're looking through New Age teachings, and some of them work beside you. Some of them are in your family. Some of them are your own children. Some of them are your parents. Some of them are in the schools, both students and teachers. Some of them are homeless. Some of them are in the seats of the churches. Some of them are high in business. Some of them are in politics. Is there a word from the Lord? Is there a word from the Lord? In order to best answer this question, I think we first need to realize the answers to three other important questions. To answer this question, is there a word from the Lord, we need to answer three other important questions. First, what is the Word of God? What is the Word of God? Well, first of all, it's a promise. The Word of God is a promise, and the promise first came to Abram in Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, when what came to Abraham was the promise that his descendants... His descendants would number as the stars in the heaven and God would give him a land to inherit and that promise has been fulfilled. God's word is a promise. And I'm here to tell you today that that promise does not fail. 1 Kings chapter 8 verse 56, praise the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel just as he promised. Not one word has failed of all the wonderful promises he gave through his servant Moses. God's word is a promise and not one word failed. They do not fail because the promises of the word of God are grounded in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 20, For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes, and through Christ our amen, which means yes, resounds to the glory of God. The promise of the word of God will stand, is true, will come to pass, because they're grounded in Jesus Christ. And when we say amen to Jesus, we receive the promise of God. I want to share with you some of these promises today. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through. As though something strange were happening to you. There's a promise from the Word of God. You're going to suffer. Promise from the Word of God. You're going to go through hard times. Promise from the Word of God. It's going to get bad. You got to change a lot of channels and listen to a lot of preachers before you hear this promise, don't you? We don't like to talk about it, but I'm telling you, it's true. You better get your armor on because you think it's bad now. It's only going to get worse. Praise God, Pastor Randy. Thank you so much for encouraging me today and sharing this joyful news with me today. It's what the Word says. But Peter said, don't think it's strange. Why? Be glad. Woo! Hallelujah. More bad times are coming. Hallelujah. More attacks on Christianity. Hallelujah. The, the, the culture and the, 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 the government and everything, they're just coming against Christians more. Pra- Praise God. That's so backwards. Everything about the Scriptures teaches us to live our lives upside down. We're not to go along with the culture of this world. Our attitude is not to be the attitude of the world. Our attitude is to be the attitude of Christ Jesus. So why should we rejoice? Why should we be glad? For these trials make you partners with Christ in His suffering. What does that mean? What does that mean? When I go through hard times and difficulties, this is a promise. God's, what is the word of God? Is there a word from the Lord? What's the word of God? It's a promise. What's one of the promises? One of the promises is you'll suffer for being a Christian, and you should be glad about it. Why? Because it makes you a partaker of Christ's suffering. What does that mean? It means that when Jesus went to the cross, I should have been there. It was me. I've messed up. I've sinned. I've done all kinds of horrible things. Thank God that he doesn't remember them because I asked him to forgive me. And when he forgives, he forgets. 
But I should have been on that cross. You should have been on that cross. So when I go through some difficulty now because I'm identified with Christ, I'm getting back a little bit of what should have been mine in the first place. I'm getting back just a little bit of what should have been mine in the first place. So I'm partakers. I'm glad because this has made me partakers of Christ's suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. Don't worry, it's going to get better. Here's another promise. Deliverance. Aren't you glad for the promise of deliverance? Promise of freedom. Psalm 34, 19. The righteous person faces many troubles. We do. But the Lord comes to the rescue each time. Hallelujah. That's a promise from the Word of God. Another promise is there is escape from temptation. You don't have to fall into temptation. You don't have to give into temptation because the promise of the Word of God is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. It's not unique to you. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. That's a promise from the Word of God. No matter what the temptation is, it's not greater than you can stand. When you're tempted, He will show you the way out so you can endure. All you got to do is look for it. There's a lot of people that fall to temptation because they ain't looking for the door. They're enjoying it too much to look for the door of escape. But that enjoyment doesn't last very long. But there's a promise that we can escape from temptation. There, are, there is a promise to those who will seek after him. Deuteronomy 4.29, if you search for him with all your heart, with all your soul, you'll find him. You'll find him. He's not hard to find. He's not far from any of us. Jeremiah 29, verses 13 and 14, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you'll find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. That's a promise from the word of God. He promises us his presence. Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 3, I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I'll tell you, you are not alone. His presence is with you and available to you no matter what you face. You know what else he's promised you? He's promised you an eternal home. He's promised you an eternal home. John 14, verses 1 through 3, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am and you know the way to where I'm going. The Word of God is a promise, and that promise is he has prepared a place for us. Better than any property we can get here. He's also promised us a final and complete deliverance. Revelation 21, 4, he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Isn't the word of God awesome? Aren't the promises of the word of God powerful? But there's a warning about these promises. There's a warning about the promises. 2 Corinthians 7, 1, because we have these promises... Of escape from temptation, of his presence, of an eternal home, of complete deliverance. Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves. Cleanse ourselves. How do we do that? We submit to the Lord. Cleanse me, Lord. Show me the way, Lord. Help me to walk in the way you want me to walk, Lord. Let us cleanse ourselves from everything. We have to say no to temptation. He's given us the power to do it. Cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. And let us work towards complete 
holiness because we fear God. We walk in holiness and we seek to walk in purity and righteousness before him because he has been so good to give us so many promises. Is there a word from the Lord? Well, what is the word of God? First of all, it's a promise. Second, God's word is a power. God's word is a power. It's a light. Psalm 119, 105, your word's a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. I need direction. I need to know what God wants me to do. I need to know where he wants me to go. I need his direction on decision. So I'm thankful his word's a lamp to my feet. His word's a light to my path. And to those who receive it, it can take you from the darkness of death to the light of life. Jeremiah found that to those who reject the word of God, it's a reproach. To those who reject the word of God, it's a strong criticism. To those, if, if you reject the word of God, it becomes an accusation against you instead of a promise. Jeremiah 6 verse 10, he says, to whom can I give warning? Who will listen? Who's going to listen to me when I speak? Their ears are closed and they cannot hear. They scorn the word of God. They don't want to listen at all. His word is a promise, but it's also a power. And if we fail to receive the promise, it becomes a powerful accusation against us. The word of God will work against us, not for us, if we don't know it and if we don't receive it. That's why we're trying to be so committed to know what the word of God says. In Jeremiah's own time of darkness, he found that the word of God was like a burning fire. Jeremiah 20, verse 9, if I say, I'll never mention the Lord or speak in his name. Lord, they're not listening. This, this was Jeremiah's experience. Some people say Jeremiah didn't have a single convert in his ministry. Jeremiah was thrown in prison multiple times for his ministry. Jeremiah was rebuked and punished by the kings for his ministry. His ministry was rejected and rejected and rejected and rejected. Jeremiah, he did not make it on the world's fastest growing church list of Outreach Magazine. Jeremiah wasn't invited to speak at the conference because he took his church from zero to 10,000 in six years. Nobody listened. Nobody paid attention. He preached and he preached and he preached and they rejected and rejected and rejected and rejected. He said, I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to mention his name anymore. But his word burns in my heart like a fire. It's like a fire in my bones. I'm worn out trying to hold it in. I can't do it. He tried to quit. He tried to quit, and he couldn't quit because, yes, there is a word from the Lord, and it was so strong and powerful in his life. Jeremiah 23, verse 29, does not my word burn like a fire, says the Lord? Is it not like a mighty hammer that smashes the rock to pieces? The word of God is like a hammer that can smash even the hardest heart. Matthew 21, verse 44, anyone who stumbles over that stone will be broken to pieces and it will crush anyone that falls on you. See, if we, if we fall on the word of God, if we lay our lives, the word of God's like a fire, it's like a hammer, it's like a rock. If we just, if we lay our lives and set our lives that we're going to fall on this book, we'll be broken before the Lord and he'll be able to use us. But if we don't, then it says the rock falls on us. So I got a little word for you today. Fall on the rock before the rock falls on you. 
Fall on the rock before the rock falls on you. And the word of God is a power. It's a powerful sword. Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Cuts between soul and spirit. Between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. This thing is powerful. This thing is powerful. If you're not reading it, I dare you. If you're not reading it, I dare you. If you're, not, if you're not digging into this thing between Sundays and even between small groups, I dare you. Why not? Are you scared of it? Are you afraid of what it'll say to you? Are you afraid of how it'll change you? Are you afraid of what it might say and how it might direct your life, how it might call you out? Or maybe you're afraid you just can't handle all the blessings. You just, you just can't. You, you're not sure you can handle how much goodness it can come with it. Ephesians 6, 17, put on salvation as your helmet. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Word of God is a power. And the Word of God is God. John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Because the word is Jesus, John 1, 14. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Revelation 19, 11 through 13, John said, I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood and his title was the Word of God. So God's word is a power. It's a light. It's a sword. It's a fire. It's a rock. It's God. It's Jesus. So is there a word from the Lord? Well, what is the word of God? It's that promise. It's that power. What is the purpose of the Word of God? That's a question we need to answer if we're going to really understand, is there a word from the Lord? What's the purpose? What's the purpose of the Word of God? Well, one of the purposes of the Word of God is to help us avoid sin. You know, a lot of times, earlier we said He provides a way of escape from temptation. A lot of times that way of escape is right here. The Word of God will lead us and guide us. The Word of God will show us the door out. Psalm 119, 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Do you know this thing? Do you know what it says? It'll help you to walk right. Another purpose of the word of God is sanctification or cleansing. Remember Peter said, if you have these promises, cleanse yourselves. How do you do it? You do it by washing in this book. John 17, 17, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth, Romans 12, 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So Paul said, Paul said, we need to give our lives to the Lord as a sacrifice. That's how we get cleansed. And then later to the Corinthians, Paul said, I do this every day. I die every day. I die to myself every day. I die to my own desires every day. I, I, I resist the temptations every day. I fall on this book every day. I let this fire consume me every day. Purpose of the word of God is also to give us encouragement. Psalm 119, 28, I weep with sorrow. Encourage me by your word. There's encouragement here. 
purpose of the word of God is to give us hope. Psalm 119, 114, you are my refuge and my shield. Your word is my source of hope. Are you feeling hopeless sometimes? There's hope in this book. You're struggling with your faith. One of the purposes of the word of God is to increase our faith. There's a, there's a lot of people who are leaving the faith. They're not, they're not pursuing what the word of God teaches us. Romans 10, 17, so faith comes from hearing. That is hearing the good news about Jesus Christ. The purpose of the word of God is to give us life. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. John 10, 10, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and to destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. John 20, 31, but these are rich so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him you will have life by the power of His name. So we see what the Word of God is. We see the purpose of the Word of God. Third, what's the result? What's the result of the Word of God? Well, it accomplishes its purpose. The word of the, all the purposes that we've talked about, the word of God accomplishes those purposes. Isaiah 55, 11, It's the same with my word. I send it out. It always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to. It will prosper everywhere I send it. You know what else the word of God does? It discerns the thoughts and intents of our heart. I share again Hebrews 4:12. The word of God is alive, powerful, sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. It cuts between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires this thing will clear up your confusion the words got the word of god is like a mirror on our souls we look in the mirror to make us look nice before we go places but the word of god is like a mirror on our soul are you checking the mirror for your soul as much as you're checking the mirror for your face <laughs> when we read this thing when we encounter this thing we have a clearer sense of who we are on the inside. God uses this to cause us to change in a way that makes us more like him. You are not going to be more like Jesus unless you get into this book. You're not going to be more like Jesus unless you fill your lives with the word of God. And another result of the word of God is it makes God's love perfect in us. Do you have a hard time loving some people? <laughs> the word of God will help us to love people. 1 John 2, 5, but those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. And that is how we know we are living in him. And folks, I'll tell you, if we focus on this book, if we make this book the focus of our church, if we make this book our direction, if we make this book our guide for our individual lives, for our families, and for our church, this book, one of the results of the Word of God is it brings men and women, old and young, even children, into an eternal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. When Peter got up and he preached the Word of God, quoted from Joel, explained the purpose of it, explained what it meant, filled with the power of God, what happened? They said, what must we do to be saved? And when Paul and Silas were thrown in prison for preaching the word of God and at midnight after being beaten nearly within an inch of their lives, they're in a jail cell and they're singing and praising and an earthquake comes and opens the prison doors. The jailer comes running and saying, what must I do to be saved? If we will elevate this book, if we will focus on this book, if we will teach and preach and seek and study this book, people will come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's a miraculous thing. So, so what about today? I asked the question that Zedekiah asked. Is there a word from the Lord? Is there a word from the Lord? I think we can shout with Jeremiah. 
there is. Yes, there is. Because Jesus Christ is the word of God. And he is stationed at the Father's right hand. And he lives in us through the Holy Spirit. There is a word from the Lord. And there's a word from the Lord for you. So whenever there is a word of prophecy, whether it's public or whether it's given to you personally, or where there is a message in tongues with an interpretation that's labeled as a word from the Lord, make sure it is backed up by the word of God. Make sure it's backed up by the scriptures. You've got to know the Bible so you can confirm whether something that is spoken to you in the name of God is really from God because this still is the word from the Lord for us today and this must be the basis for everything we say and everything we do in our lives. It's got to be. This is our foundation. Remember that Jesus Christ is the central character of the book. Jesus Christ is the central character of the book. Everything, everything in this book is about God's plan to give us a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. If there are passages in here that you're having difficulty understanding, are you trying to understand it in light of the fact that it's been given to you so that you can have a personal relationship with Jesus? That's the context for everything. So we've been... Preaching this message now for like three months. Playing with fire. Because you know what? When we really get into this thing, it's like playing with fire. And that's what we're going to do. That's, I'm going to stay in the book. My call when I was 15 years old was to preach the word of God. When I was ordained, my uncle handed me my grandfather's Bible and said, preach the word of God. We have to be focused on this book. We have to stick with this book. When I was just a teenager, and I was just barely, barely called into the ministry, and I don't even know for sure. Yes, I might have. I think I had preached maybe one message as a 15-year-old. I went to visit my, we were on a family vacation, visiting my grandparents, mom's parents in Orlando, and my grandfather said, so you're called to preach, huh? I said, yes, sir. Now, he wasn't the kind who said, oh, praise God, we've got another preacher in the family. No, granddad's words to me were, well, if you can do anything else and be happy, do it. Because he had faced some hardship. He, he found out what the suffering for the cause of Christ was like. Talked to my cousin who was 10 years older than me. He said, granddad said the same thing to him when he said, hey, grandpa, I've been called to preach. He said, if you can do anything else and be happy, do it. But we can't because it's like a fire shut up within our bones. So Christmas 1979, we were down in Orlando and my granddad said to me, so you're called to preach. He said, well, he said, uh, have you got a good reference Bible? I said, no. I mean, I had Bibles, but I didn't really have a good reference study Bible. Okay, you're going to need, if you're going to preach, you need a good study Bible. So he pulled one of his study Bibles off of his shelf, and he wrote in the front of it. And when I read it, I found that he had received this, he had received this Bible as a Christmas present from the church he pastored in Baltimore, Maryland in 1951. And he was giving it to me. And he said, my son, he, he, he included in there 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, the verse that says, study to show yourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And he wrote in the front of that Bible, he said, my son, strive to be the preacher I always wanted to be, the best. And for years, I thought that meant to be the best 
preacher in terms of communication and performance and preaching of communication ability. But after many years, I learned, no, that's not what he was talking about. If you're going to preach, be the best human being that a preacher can be. To put it maybe in my words today, my son, don't be a stupid preacher. Don't be a dumb preacher. Don't become a, a preacher that doesn't know the word of God. Don't become a preacher that doesn't hold. Don't become a preacher that becomes an embarrassment. That's how I take it. And so when Kyle and Anna were ordained into the ministry a few years ago, I passed that treasure on to them and wrote a little something in it to them. Folks, this, this, is, what, this is what I'm committed to. This is my compass. We're going to start going through the book of Genesis next week, which means somewhere down the road we're going to get into Genesis 32, which is where Jacob had a couple of things happen to him. One is, one is, he was running away from home because he was afraid his brother was going to kill him. And we know the Sunday school story, he laid his head on a pillow and he saw the angels of God ascending and descending. Saw God, saw the throne of God, saw the angels. And what did he do? He woke up the next morning and said, well, God, that was awesome. If you do this, if you do this, then I'll do this. A phenomenal, tremendous experience that did not change his life one bit. His name meant cheater and deceiver, and for the next 20 years, he continued to cheat and deceive his uncle in business. But on the way back 20 years later, he has another experience. He's scared to death because he's going back to Esau. He wonders if Esau still wants to kill him. He sends all kinds of gifts ahead of him. He sends cattle. He sends sheep. He sends he brave, gutsy guy. He sends the women and children ahead of him. Well, maybe they'll, maybe, maybe they'll kill some of my, you know, maid's children that I had through my maid. And, I, that, you know, maybe by the time I find that out, I can skedaddle and get out of there. But overnight, he wrestled with the angel of the Lord which is Jesus Christ. He wrestled with the second person of the Trinity in angelic form all night long. And when it was over, he walked with a limp for the rest of his life. And his name was changed from Jacob to Esau, or from, from Jacob to Israel. Why? Because he didn't have an experience. He had an encounter. I thank God for experiences, but I don't thank God for experiences that don't change our lives encounters will change our lives and I'm telling you what we need to do today in this day and age with our nation looking the same way Judah looked when Jeremiah said yeah there's a word from the Lord you're gone there's a word from the Lord you're cooked there's a word from the Lord you're going to be judged because of the wickedness of the leadership of your nation you're going to be judged because the nation has walked away from God is there a word from the Lord yeah you better know it you better hang on to it because in the days to come, you won't make it if you don't have this book. We won't make it if we don't have this guide. And we will need more than experiences. We will need encounters with this book. We need to know this book. Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, that you have loved us so much that you've given us the word of God. Lord, I pray that for every person that's a part of this wonderful, wonderful, wonderful church family, God, that this book would become a burning Raging, purging, cleansing, 
purifying, transforming, sanctifying, glorifying fire. Lord, I pray that these messages over these last three months would not just be something to look back on, but Lord, that, that, that you would put that hunger in us, God. Give us a hunger for your word. And on this Father's Day, I pray that our fathers would lead the way. That our fathers would hunger for your word. That our fathers would read and study your word. That our fathers would pass the word of God on to their families and to their children. Lord, I, I pray that your Holy Spirit would draw our church family to get close to this flame. So that we can be more like Jesus. Lord, help us to come near the flame, I pray in Jesus' name. With your heads bowed and with your eyes closed, here is a word from the Lord. All of us, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Here's a word from the Lord. None of us deserves forgiveness. None of us deserves righteousness. None of us deserves healing. None of us deserves heaven. But here's a word from the Lord. He loves you. And he said, anyone who comes to me, I will not turn away. Not one. Doesn't matter what your sins are. Doesn't matter what your attitude is. Doesn't matter what your rejection of him has been. He will not turn you away. He loves you. He loves you. Here's a word from the Lord. Our sins cause us to be deserving of death. But the gift, the free, free, free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's a word from the Lord. There is grace for you. There is God's love for you. There is forgiveness for you. If you will confess your sins and recognize that Jesus as God the Son died in your place for your sins, rose again in power, and He's still God. If you'll confess your sins and recognize who Jesus is, you will be forgiven. Your sins will be forgotten. You'll become a new creation. And all these promises will become yours and more. Because you see, these promises aren't yours unless you're in a relationship with Him. So I want you to take just a moment right now. Maybe you've never, maybe you've never offered yourself to Jesus for your sins to be forgiven and for Him to give you new life. Or maybe you did that a long time ago and you need to come back and return. Maybe you're an active follower of Jesus, but right now you need to take a moment and confess some sin to the Lord and receive His forgiveness. I want you to just take a moment right now, yourself, in your own words, confess your sins to the Lord and receive His forgiveness and receive the life that He wants to give you. receive your forgiveness. We receive your life. Lord, we receive your promises. You know, there's a number of promises that we mentioned earlier. There's a promise of forgiveness. There's a promise of deliverance. There are promises of healing. There are promises of wisdom. There are promises of direction. Let's stand to our feet. I'm going to ask our prayer team members to come right now. I just want us to enter back in. I want us to worship God 
in these next few moments for his word. Let's worship him for his word. If the worship team wants to come, you can come back as well. We just want to worship him for his word. And as we continue to worship him for a few more moments, I want you to come if, if we mentioned a promise that you have need of today. 